I could preach a new message. I could preach a new message. Dare to be like David and destroy your Philistines. Destroy the Philistines in your life. I have to admit, when I hear the new message, I first think to myself, can taxes be my Philistines? Get rid of taxes. And as I begin to think of it, I think my mortgage looks a little Philistine-y too. But you got to pay your taxes and get back to work. Get a vaccine or don't get a vaccine, but you can tweet about it. Then you can check on your email, go on Instagram, play around on TikTok, check back on Twitter to see if anyone's followed you or liked that post. Oh, shucks, nobody's cared. But I'm still making a difference. I'm still daring. Or I can preach an old message. An old message. An old kind of message. Christus Victor. Christus Victor. Christ the Victor. That's the title of my sermon this morning because I'm going to preach an old message. Christus Victor. Christ the Victor. David goes to war in this text and he's victorious, but Christ is the real winner. Christ is the real winner in this text, and Christ is all that matters in the church because the matter of Scripture is Jesus Christ. So in this church, we preach nothing but Christ and him crucified. And I almost feel guilty for it because week in and week out, I say the same thing weekly, and I get paid handsomely for it. (laughs) For saying that same old message every week, soli deo gloria because it's the only message that matters. It is the only story that transforms, the only story that changes lives. There's no greater story. There's no other power unto salvation, salvation, solus Christus, Christ alone. So the gospel makes for a different kind of fight and a different kind of church and a different kind of life. That's because Christ is the victor. And you need Christus victor because there will always be a fight. There will always be a fight. Verse 15 says there was war again between the Philistines and Israel. There was always war between Israel and the Philistines. They were the ancient foe, the greatest threat to Israel's existence. The ancient foe that goes all the way back to Samson. Their greatest threat to peace in Israel was the Philistines. And that's all about to change. That's all about to come to an end. Now, we don't know the exact date of these battles. They're not chronologically coherent. It's all history. You have to recognize the story is all history. Everything has happened, happened as said, or has, as, it, as it happened. Yet it's not chronologically coherent, the wars, even though they say, And after this and after that, you can't think, well, exactly after because the ancients didn't really care about exactlys. That's a modern problem. So when we read the text, we kind of struggle. Our modernity calls us to struggle, but it wasn't a struggle to the ancients. They didn't care about events and dates in order of their occurrence. They put stuff together in the Bible theologically. The Bible is arranged theological. You see, the whole Bible is really theological. And so these are different points of David's life and career, and the narrator chose these moments and pieced them together to show us something true, something true about the Lord. 
And the truth here was that David was God's warrior. David was God's warrior, and Israel needed a victory. And so the narrator has pieced these texts together at the end of 2 Samuel to show us that David was a warrior for the Lord, and Israel needed a champion. Because God actually promised a champion in 2 Samuel 3, way back when, when we were studying 2 Samuel 3, verse 18 writes, For the Lord has promised David, 2 Samuel 3.18, the Lord has promised David, saying, by the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. From the hand of the Philistines and from all their enemies, David will save Israel. And that promise is coming into fulfillment in 2 Samuel 21. And so the narrator put these events together here to show us that David was Yahweh's Sabaoth. He was Yahweh's Sabaoth. The Lord promised victory, so David must win the battle. And also another truth in this text, we see that he wasn't alone in winning the battle. There was war again between the Philistines and Israel, and David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines. David was a fighter. Love David, right? A fighter. He never stays back. He's always at the forward edge of the battle, always fighting, never giving up, no retreat with David. No matter how weary he grew, it says the text says he, he grew weary, yet there was still no retreat for David ever. A warrior, king. Most kings are always in the back. <laughs> Most kings lead from the rear, not David. And David grew weary because of the thick of the war. There was no retreat, so his energy wilted. And as he fought, and he fought on, and he grew weary, the text says, the enemy honed in on it. Verse 16, and Ishbibanab, Ishbibanab, one of the descendants of the giants whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze and who was armed with a new sword, fought to kill David. He sees David at the forward edge of the battle fighting, fighting hard, and he can see that his energy is waning, that he's getting weaker and weaker by the moment. And he licked his chops. He licked his chops at a chance with David. He liked his odds. And the narrator wants you to see his odds. The narrator wants you to see that Ishbibanab was superior to David in every way as a warrior. Superior in every way. He was from the descendants of the giants. He is large and in charge. The word giant is a pronoun also for a people group. Deuteronomy 2.11 says, like the Anakim, they were also counted as the Rephium. Rephium is the word there for giant. So you could easily translate this. He was a descendant of the Rephium. But he was quite big because he had this spear that weighed, what did it weigh? We all know, 300 shekels of bronze, which I did the math on Google, and that comes out to 70 pounds. He had a 70-pound spear, so he's a large guy. He's a large warrior from the offspring of the serpent. And he had David right where he wanted him. He was elite. David was weak. I grew up, I don't know, in the 70s, 80s, really. And I grew up in the 80s, and G.I. Joe was the cartoon. If you're not familiar, if you're under 45, you probably got to go home and Google G.I. Joe. Best cartoon, best action figures ever. And as a kid, we wanted all the action figures. We wanted the G.I. Joe action figures. But to be honest, Cobra Command, 
Cobra Command had the greater tech. Cobra Command had the greater, had the best accessories and vehicles. So while we as kids always wanted the Joes, we wanted Cobra Command's equipment. And there's no way that the Joes should have defeated the Cobra Command except for this one thing. The Joes were the real American heroes. Right? I see all the 40-something dads smiling. The real American hero. And that's the truth of our story here, the real American hero. Verse 17, but Abashai, the son of Zuriah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. The narrator doesn't really give us any deal about this attack. It doesn't really give us any details on Abashai and how he did it. He gave us lots of deal, details about Ishbibanab, but then he just says, uh, Ashbana, uh, uh, Abashai just came in and, and killed him. Not much fanfare, which is the best kind of courageous warrior. He went out not for fanfare. He went out and risked life and limb to protect David. And he overcame superior odds. He risked his life against a superior opponent, and the text says, and he won. And then David's men swore to him. They said, you shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel you see, what almost happened with David against this giant sobered the men of Israel, and they made an oath with David. They actually made a law. It became law in the land that David followed by oath before the Lord that he would not go back, he would not go into battle anymore. He would lead from the rear, lest Israel lose its lamp. The lamp of Israel, this phrase is only found in one place in all of Scripture, right here. Lamp of Israel. It means David was so important to Israel, as important to Israel as light in the darkness. And David followed the counsel, he followed the multitude of counselors, and it was wisdom, and he followed it. David followed this rule, he adopted it. We'll see that from the rest of the texts with David's life. You see, David was not alone. David needed others. David needed the church. God's people need one another. It's a truth that we find in this text. The necessity of others. Verse 18, after this, there was war again, always war. With the Philistines at Gob. Then Sabakai, Sabakai, the Hushathite, struck down Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giants. So there's more war. We don't really know much about this war. All the narrator wants us to know is that there's a lot of war. We're going to see that. There's war after war. There was war again. And it's not necessarily a history lesson, although it's history, it's, it's a theological lesson. The history is not as important as the point that's being made. The history doesn't even really need to be chronologically correct. This after doesn't necessarily need to be really after. They didn't think in scientific terms. They thought in theological terms. And the whole point of the Bible is theology. Once you figure out the whole Bible is theology, it's going to save your interpretation. And so the truth of the matter is the truth the story conveys. That he struck down, this Hushathite killed another giant. We got another hero, another hero, go Joe. It dawned on me while I was writing this sermon that I might have become a Marine because of my childhood cartoons. <laughs> and it should dawn on you as you read this story that David needed others. He needed heroes beside him. He was victorious, but he wasn't alone. And it should dawn on you that you need others. And then the rest of the chapter, verse 19, is there's war again. Look at that. 
There was war again. That's what, our third war again? There's war again with the Philistines at Gob. Another war. Of course, they just fought at Gob. Now they're fighting at Gob again. And Elhanan, the son of Jari Oregim, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath the Gittite. Wait a minute. Should have a little cognitive, you know, should cause you a little, you should trip over that, right? Who killed Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam? Houston, we got a problem. If you remember, the story told us in the past, the history lesson was David killed Goliath the Gittite, whose, you know, spear was like a weaver's beam. I didn't Google that weaver's beam, so I'm not sure how much that weighs in pounds, but the point being is we got a problem here. There is the, there's another figure killing Goliath the Gittite. Is this an error? Does the Bible have errors? We don't believe the Bible has errors. We don't believe the Bible has errors in the original autographs, in the original manuscript. You see, Orthodox Christians do believe there can be errors in modern translations. But our translations are inerrant insofar as they follow the originals. And I'm here to tell you they do. Our English translations follow the originals 110% of the time. 110%. You see, our Bibles, our English Bibles, are 110% accurate. They're too accurate. You're like, that doesn't make sense, Pastor. The Bible's too accurate. Well, there's 10% too much in our manuscripts. If you have an ESV, like I have an ESV, uh, the ESV is pretty helpful. It sometimes gives us that 10%. My copy of the ESV uh, has a little footnote at the bottom. You might have that as well. I have a footnote here. It's a footnote, footnote. Footnote 1 says, two Hebrew manuscripts, Septuagint, most Hebrew manuscripts have Michael. And if you take that footnote up, you go up to verse 8 of 2 Samuel 21. Verse 8 says, the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bore to Saul, Armoni and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Merib. You see that Merib there? There's the footnote. The five sons of Merib, the daughter of Saul. So the ESV records that it's the five sons of Merib. But there are two manuscripts that we have. We have the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And we have some other Hebrew, we have another Hebrew manuscript that has the word, or no, excuse me, the two the two manuscripts that we follow here have, uh, have Merib. But there, it says most Hebrew manuscripts have Michael. So we have a choice to make. We have too much. Is it Merib or Michael? And the ESV goes with uh, Merib, as opposed to all of these other manuscripts that mostly have Michael. I'm not going to get into the reasons why, but just to show you that there's too much. And the ESV records that it was Merib, not Michael, that had it here. And what I really want you to know from this is that the, there's nothing missing in the Bible. Your English translations are missing nothing. You can trust your English translations. There's just a little bit too much sometimes, but that's okay. You know why? Because you're not alone. You're not alone. Christ has given you his word, and he's given you a church. In the Reformed Church, thankfully, we teach our and train our ministers Greek and Hebrew, and we train our ministers in textual criticism. 
And you can trust, most of the, uh, the 10%, by the way, is very insignificant. The 10% is always just trifle things like, which mother? Is it Merib or Michael? It never affects the theology. And the theology is what matters. And the theology is never a problem. You can trust your English Bibles, but they're not perfect, but you have Christ and his church. And the Bible is infallible. That means the Bible can never lead you astray. The Bible can never lead you astray because God knows all things and God never lies and he's given you his word. So you're in good with God's word and a good Bible. David didn't go it along, alone. He needed others and so do you. You need Christ and his church, a good Bible translation and a good church and you're good to go. The church is the body of Christ. God instituted the local church so that we could join Christ in service to one another. And in our text this morning, David delivered God's people from their greatest threat. David overcame great odds to deliver Israel from their greatest enemy. And he wasn't alone. That's the point. He wasn't alone. He had heroes. He had others. Servants who helped secure the victory. We need one another. And we need a true church. Now, I haven't dealt with this Elanon, El, I can't say Elhanan, Elhanan. Okay, I'll deal with Elhanan. What's going on with Elhanan? I thought David, well, Elhanan is David. You see, in Bible times, people had often several names. Sometimes they had two, sometimes they had three names. You probably know some figures like this. Remember uh, Joseph, remember Joseph's other name? We, we always name our kids Joseph. I don't know why we don't name him his other's name. His other name was Zaphnath-Panahane. That's the one you should go with, parents, not Joseph. Zaphnath-Panahane. Judas, Judas, not the Iscariot, one of Christ's 12 disciples, was also called Thaddeus. Dorcas was also known as Tabitha, right? David was Elhanan's Regal name. Elananhan actually means God is gracious. And as my kids like to say, nailed it. God was very gracious to David. David was the hero. So these wars are not definitely chronologic because the war that happened at first, uh, the scholars tell us that's probably right before Bathsheba. But then we know this war happened before David was even king. It's not an error, it's biblical which means it's not modern, it's pre-modern. So you gotta think with the theological part of your brain when you read the Bible. Don't think with the scientific part of your brain, you gotta think with the theological part of your brain, which is all this part. <laughs> you think with the theological part of the brain and you ask, what's the theology of the chapter? And here's the theology of the chapter. Life is full of enmity and you need a warrior. Life is full of enemies and you need a victor. Verse 20, and there was again, there's that war again. There was war again at Gath. Gath's another, that's Philistine. That's a, I think it's the main city in Philistine there. Another war again in Gath, and there was a man of great stature, another big dude, who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he was also defend, descended from the giants. We got another giant, and this one had lots of digits, like Cobra Command, Always had more going on for them than the Joes. But the Joes are the real American heroes. And when he taunted Israel, this giant taunted Israel, and you don't taunt 
Israel and Israel. When you taunt Israel and Israel, you're taunting Israel's God. And when you taunt Israel's God and Israel, you lose your voice. So Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. Another hero. He derided Israel and lost his voice. Leviticus 24, 16 says, The sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name of the Lord, shall be put to death. So Jonathan here obeyed God's law. But in the end, David was the divine warrior. 22, these four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David. But David wasn't alone. David needed others. So they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. But David's the divine warrior. Yahweh had promised deliverance by David's hand. And David was God's warrior. They needed victory. David goes and wins the war. David goes to war and wins. And you can dare to be like David. You must dare to be like David. You need to conquer the Philistines in your life. You need to arm yourself with other brothers and sisters. Arm yourself with some faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, and you too can be the real American hero. You can be the real American hero because God loves heroes. And I know you can do it. Just reach deep down in yourself. And if you can win, God will love you. And you can win because you are a conqueror. And you'll get rich too. That's hard to say. That's, that's the new message. And it's death. And that new message is death because you are a loser. And you always will be. We are all losers. And so I still pay my taxes. The problem with this new message is death. But the old message, the old message is life. David was God's warrior, but he wasn't the last. David conquered the Philistines, but Israel was still surrounded by their enemies when he died on his deathbed. He conquered the Philistines, but they were still surrounded by enemies. You may defeat some Goliaths in your life, but in the end, death will swallow you whole as it does all sinners. We need Christus Victor. Christ the Victor. There's now no more condemnation. You see, Christ is the real champion in 2 Samuel 21. He is Lord Sabaoth who has won the battle. He has destroyed the greatest threat of death and he didn't need any help to do it. He's greater than David. Because he defeated the devil. He defeated death and sin all on his own. The real hero. Because he is the yes and amen of all God's promises. So by faith in Christ, the promise is true for you and your children. By the hand of Christ, God has saved his people from all their enemies. He destroyed your sin on the cross and rose over death so that our death is just a passing from this dead and dying age to victory. So believe Christ is your victory and be saved from all your sins. That's the greatest story. It's the greatest story ever told. 
And it is the greatest story we need to hear week in and week out. Christ is the victor. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, be glory now and forevermore. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.